then we'll, we'll go straight to it. Um, so this is obviously going to reach like a, a nice to meet you by the way. We, we did meet earlier. Hello. Um, so uh, this is going to reach a huge uh, global audience. But uh, the thing about TV is you don't get to see your audience experience it very much unless you're sort of going door to door like Gabriel Byrne in the night. Um, were there any moments when you were watching it thinking, I wonder what? It, are there any moments you're looking forward to experience with an audience, or like you know, sadistically, or you know, are there anything, any moments or effects or scenes that you really wanted to see play with the audience? Uh, well, we, we showed uh, two episodes in uh, Paris the other week, and uh, it was quite interesting. As the series goes on in episode two, you begin to understand or get glimpses of who the aliens might be. So I think that, for me, was always quite interesting to right. see the audience's reactions to those. Right. And for you guys, any other...? Um, I think it's... What we what we sense is it's it's tenser and scarier, is it not? Sorry, it's tenser and scarier than we perhaps imagined it was going to be. When you work on something for a long time, it it stops being frightening. Really, it stops being jumpy or anything like that. And we could feel audiences really react. Yeah, it's like comedy, isn't it? It's like anything with strong emotions, you get so accustomed to it. And, and uh, I think also the other thing was is that in what we wanted to do is in showing the violence later on in the series, not be kind of blockbuster Hollywood violence right. where it's just big explosions. It's very kind of realistic portrayals of what would happen in these extreme circumstances. So again, that was interesting to see the audience's reactions to that in that there's a particular sequence in episode two that journalists talked a lot about with, with one particular death, which caused a lot of people to talk about a very strong reaction. But, uh, and it, we were quite surprised by that because you know, in episode one, we kill kind of billions of people and nobody seemed to be that bothered, but the one individual in episode two that was killed caused a lot of kind of a really strong reaction, which was quite interesting. I just want to say we're only like three minutes in and you've sold episode two incredibly well for this audience. I was going, who's going to die in episode two? Um, and so you, did you have any moments or, or scenes or work of yours that you were looking forward to seeing in the pilot on the big screen? Well, I was there in Paris a couple of weeks ago, but oh. um, for me, I'm like an audience member because I get to see all the rushes during the day, but I don't get to see the edit. So right. even though these two have seen it hundreds of times, <laughs> I'm like an audience member. So for me, it's, it's just as exciting, really, That's just good. to see it you know, edited together and the story being told, yeah. Yeah, great. And Richard, is it the same for you? Um, well, for me, it's seeing how things are going to stitch together. Right. So the observatory is up a mountain that we were at for a couple of days. I only went there on a recce. Right. And then the interior is all on a stage in Newport. So it's if we're going to pull that off, if, we're gonna, if, if people are going to feel like they're in the same place, if they're up a mountain or if they're in Newport. So that, that, that's the sort of thing that I look out for. Yeah, nothing against Newport. I believed you were up that mountain the whole time. So yeah, that's great. Success. Um, so, I mean, before just getting to this project, I mean, obviously, the War of the Worlds is a is very well-known thing, very well-known story and brand and, and experience. Uh, what were all your different experiences coming before this project? Like, do you have, are you, were you uh, readers of the book? Were you, do you listen to the album? Were you a big fan of the Tom Cruise version? I don't know. Um, I guess going down the line, did you have, like, a, a big, were you a big fan of the story before this project? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was always sort of aware of it and always enjoyed the, the reinterpretations of it. And uh, the, the Tom Cruise version I quite enjoyed. 
uh, and went, I went on the uh, studio tours and actually stood around the plane. Right. Set, which actually, for somebody working in television, I was childlessly really excited about it. Um, but, yeah, I think all of them, they all strike a chord and they all do different things, don't they? They just play on a, a paranoia that's going on at the time. So I think it's a sort of... It is the themes of it are, are very timeless and interesting. I think that's what attracted Julie and I and Howard at the beginning. Right. Same for you, Julian? Yeah, I think it's an interesting piece because I think all those different versions in a strange way reflect the time they were made. Mm, sure. So Orson Welles's reflects the moment in history it was made. And I think Spielberg's reflects 9-11 because I think it was in his mind. And I guess I hope this reflects the anxieties sure. we have now. So it is, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting novel for doing that. Right. I suppose it's a bit like Invasion of the Body Snatchers as well. That has kind of its own, its own version yeah. for each other. Uh, I so. think it's a sign of a good novel and a, yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Right. Um, and Melanie, were you a fan of... Uh... I just wanted to make aliens. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good... That's a dream come true, I hope. Uh, no spoilers for episode two. Um, and Richard, did you have a, a, a relationship with the story before this as well? well I, I first encountered it as the, as the album. You know, right. The, the massive gatefold final. Uh, but it's a fascinating piece of literature because it, it is transferable into all these different sort of eras and different genres so um i think i think what we've done is something new as well uh you know we, we've kind of contributed something interesting to the war of the world's canon so it's, it's quite satisfying no, definitely i did get a twitter question to ask about david essex and i'm disregarding it so because he's a big part of the album apparently um so what was the um what was the very first conversation or pitch for this incarnation of War of the Worlds, do you remember who was it? You was it a conversation you had? Did someone have to pitch it to you, or um, no? The idea kind of pre-existed us talking to anyone, right? Um, and I think it was us thinking about doing a science fiction that wasn't a science fiction, right? That taking, I, I guess, we're very influenced by by high-end science fiction like in Inception and Arrival and stuff like that, and. And it was to do something that was very character-driven, but in that space. Right. Uh, and that's not easy to do. And I think Howard had always been fascinated with World Worlds. And he'd, he'd read it recently, oddly. And I think that was probably critical. And those two <coughs> thoughts came together. I think Canal Plus, who we actually essentially made a French broadcaster, which people don't realize, but they started it all. They had never made a science fiction. Right. And they wanted us to do something that was right for their very highbrow French channel. Uh, so that's how, that's kind of how it happened. So, and so there's all these kind of pre-existing relationships just looking for the right kind of project? I or? think so, and that's usually how it happens. Just people, ideas crash into each other at the right moment in the right time, and the momentum is, is strong enough. Right. And how long ago was the initial pitch for this project? How long? Uh, when is that? That was crazy, was it? Probably two, two and a half years. Two and a half years, which yes. isn't bad. For, for the industry, that sounds yeah, fairly reasonable. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was obviously kind of quite torturous because we were very close to a green light and then they wanted another script and then another script and another script. And so, but uh, they, uh, Canal Plus were really fantastic to work with because they followed our instinct that we wanted, like Julian said, to do something which was incredibly character-driven rather than, you know, big Hollywood blockbuster. And to us, the series is all, all about studying humanity and what we would do. You know, if, if, the, if, if the world was wiped out tomorrow and we had to protect ourselves, 
would we know how to fire a gun? And that, those are the things that Howard really wanted to explore in the script, was sort of small moments of humanity. You know, as you're a mother, you know, Sarah in this thing, what does she, how far does she go to protect her children? Yes. Sure. And so it was you and, and Howard, and how did you uh, assemble the team together for this? Was it, is it all people you've worked with before? Had you all worked um, with No, it was no, really interesting, actually. No, we, we genuinely hadn't. Yeah. And I think um, the director, Gilles Coulier, who did that episode in the, the first four, and is, is a pretty remarkable director. Um, he, he's a Belgian director, and he came with, a, I guess, a more European sensibility than we're used to working with. And I think what he did very bravely, and he said he would do it, and he did it, is to tell it from the point of view of the characters. So if it actually happened, that is how it would feel. You wouldn't see planes crashing all over New York. It would feel like that. Mm. And I think that's a very, he stayed very true to that. And we talked about that a lot in the creative process, was that we, we wanted it not to feel like a big Hollywood blockbuster, and we wanted it to have a kind of real kind of European sensibility to the way it was filmed. And, you know, we, we were given a lot of directors that were very genre directors that had done a lot of action, but we, Julian and I and Howard, we talked a lot about that we wanted a performance director. And so Gilles had never done a kind of action piece or a sci-fi piece. All of his movies were very interesting art house character studies, and we felt that was the right tone for the show. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've just literally today I've just watched a big action movie, and it's one of those things where the director was great at the action, and actually when there was dialogue, mm. it was very difficult. Whereas this, you can feel like the confidence when you know on the actors' faces, yeah. it's uh, it pays off. Yeah. Um, so, had you worked with uh, Melanie and Richard before? Had you all collaborated no, on projects before? This is a pretty new team, actually. Okay. So, um, how did how did their work reach you, or how did vice versa? Um, okay, I, I suppose it was an odd one because we were more involved in the process of finding our designers than normal, actually, in the sense that Gilles didn't come knowing the designers he'd worked with, most directors do, but he'd never worked in the UK, he'd never right. worked outside of Belgium. So we did meet a few people and then eventually he, he, he met them and talked to them and between that process we found the people who were right. But we, we did have to work, Johnny's right, everybody assumed we wanted people who did science fiction and were good at science fiction and we wanted completely the opposite. Mm. So, you know, that was a choice of, you know, makeup and costume design. We were interested in people that that's their body of work, some of their body of work was sort of really rooted in naturalism because what we wanted was the world to feel photo real. So we didn't want a heightened world. We wanted it to feel like, you know, if aliens invaded tomorrow, we, you know, that's how it should feel. So we talked a lot about the tone of it, making it feel very real. And, you know, Julie Harkin in the casting, you know, we were offered up a lot of sort of genre actors that you know are brilliant to that kind of thing but if you look at genre actors they will slightly tip a wink to the performance and kind of slightly enjoy it which is a, you know a brilliant skill but what we didn't want that kind of tone in the show we wanted real naturalism so all the actors we chose were very very naturalistic actors that really kind of underplayed things and really you know really felt it and uh, when on your side from the film Richard Manley, like, do you get uh, like a pilot script, or do you get like a sort of a synopsis of the show? What 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 are you given to make your decision to work on the show or to start your preparations? Well, yeah, we get the scripts and um, and start to break them down. But um, I think one of the interesting things for me was working with like Hollywood and household names and making them feel brave enough to break them down as much as we did over the eight episodes. It, you know, we had to really make them feel confident enough from our perspective, you know, 
make them feel comfortable enough to basically, you know, have them completely no makeup, hair a mess, you know, because it's, it's something, it's very real, it's very, you know, you'll, you'll see as the episodes progress that we really did break them down and make them feel as though they were going through it. And it's, it's quite a hard thing to do that with some actors, you know, to make them feel confident enough right. to appear like that on screen. <laughs> Yeah. I yeah. get the sense we're only seeing, we haven't seen the most challenging aspects of your work in this episode, like, as great yeah. as it was, but, so I'm looking, again, it's a pitch for the food, we have to tune in, don't we? And, um, uh, Richard, what was the, what, what did you respond to in, in the scripts and the, and the pitch uh, to choose the job? Well, well, I was super excited about doing some science fiction, right. <laughs> but, um, but then with my, you know, that, that was my first reaction, it was like, cool, War of the Worlds. Um, but then, uh, speaking to Gilles, and you know, getting into the project, it emerged that that wasn't what we were doing at all, and um, which was a much more interesting journey actually. And and Gilles was very, um, he he he's very committed to his his vision, and uh, and he was very clear about. He was very good at providing that direction, and with David as well, the DP, um, they were a very good kind of uh, creative pair to work with. And um, and so that became the interesting thing was doing War of the Worlds, but not making it a huge science fiction piece, making it something very interesting and about humans. So um, that was the journey for me, and um, and it was not what I, was, what I expected, and it was it was uh, it was very very good. Yeah. I mean, presumably that's part of the way that your relationship with the audience as well, and, and like you know that other people know the other versions of the story, so you're sort of playing with their expectations. Is that part of the? The aspect of it, or you can, you, you know, people are anticipating the aliens will attack. So is that part of the way you, you can subvert their expectations as well? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we really sort of thought about that. I mean, for us it was that we took, we wanted to take an idea of an alien invasion and the War of the Worlds brand, but then depart from it. And actually everything else in this series isn't really uh, an interpretation of the book. It's, it's really more of an interpretation of the theme that he was originally exploring, which you know was the, the idea of invasion and what people do, and a study of humanity. So I think that it is what Howard has done is a very kind of bold reinterpretation. And was this uh, commissioned as a full uh, series? Did you do a pilot and then other episodes, or was it just uh, funded from the get-go? No, it was funded from the get-go. Um, it took a couple of partners, as most of these big shows do, but but no, you do the whole thing, and and. It's not a one-series show either. Right, okay, good. Oh, that's even further pitching. Uh, so, and obviously, the, um, it was uh, baked in from the beginning. The, the international nature of it was uh, Canal Blue, so, so that was already there. That was in the, in the conception that it was going to be in multiple countries and multiple languages. And... Um, yeah, it was always conceived. The, the observatory actually began the whole process in mm. many ways, and that, that extraordinary place on top of the Plateau de Burr that, that you saw, which is all very real, and... Um, was where it was originally set. Right. Uh, that's where it all began, and it's never changed, actually. Um, so the, the English-French thing was built into it before we even talked to Canal Police. And is that, I mean, you're obviously you've, you've produced a lot in the television industry. Do you find that that's kind of where things are going, these more kind of international shoots now, like, like Game of Thrones and Succession, they're sort of shooting in multiple countries now. Is that a trend, or is that just, it depends on the project? I think it, it does. I think it's become affordable. That's the first thing to say. Right. Um, I think these are kind of road movies. They, they keep moving, and they used to be very hard to make, very hard to afford, and we can do that now because budgets are bigger. 
And I think audiences are more sophisticated now. So I don't think audiences are phased by the fact that you're jumping from, you know, English to French to subtitles to. And, and I think that, as programme makers, that's exciting that the... Uh, that your audience is far more sophisticated and far more film literate, so you can push things and not worry about it. You know, you can take this show to America and not worry that there's subtitles now. Yeah. And also the, just the fact that we've watched it in Cinemascope in a cinema, you know, yeah. and, and it doesn't feel that weird to be doing it. Yeah. Either, so. Yeah. Um, so I understand, I mean, it sounds easy now that we're all here, but like uh, this was probably a challenging production. So w w how and where was this film shot? I understand you had multiple units and multiple episodes going somewhere. An awful lot of it was shot in Newport. Um, <laughs> All the best things are. Um, yeah. But, no, a lot. We had, we had a stage in Newport where we, we built a lot of very key sets, including the observatory. Um, most of those sets aren't in this episode. The lab that Bill's working in was a set in Newport as well. Um, then we used various places around Cardiff, Newport, and Bristol. Um, so the final shots were shot very near Cardiff. In case um, you get those little murmurs of recognition. You oh, might, yeah, you might see things. Um, a lot was, a chunk was shot in London. Uh, a whole chunk was shot in northern France, another part in Lyon, and a fair bit in the Alps. Right. And all, are you all, like, during production, you're going back and forth between all these? What's, so what's your, like, week or day like? These you know, two were. Yeah, what's it, so what's it like working on something like this? Very challenging. I'd done things before with multiple blocks like Game of Thrones and that kind of thing, but this was, you know, brought its own challenges because um, different countries at different times, multiple blocks shooting it. Sometimes one day we had first and second unit on one block, first and second on unit on another block, and then another unit doing something. So five units shooting it, and I can't be in five places at one time. No, so I had to have a brilliant team, right. which I luckily did. <laughs> and um, it, it was it's just about pulling it together, having the right tools in place, the right people in place. But, you know, it was definitely um, challenging, really difficult at times, but very enjoyable, of, uh, you know, going up to the observatory was probably one of the most memorable times of my career, you know, it's just shooting in a place like that is, you know, something that you definitely remember. Um, but, you, you know, from a point of view of trying to make it work, it's just a lot of sitting down and churning out, um, you know, plans and preparation for everything, which is quite unusual for a head of makeup. You know, normally we're just creating every day, so it just brought new challenges. But you know, we got through it, and everything went okay. Hopefully. Oh, it's gone very well. I mean, it's <laughs> incredibly stressful, but very good. It looks very good. Um, and Richard, were you were you back? In, I mean, are you there during production and, and as well as pre-production, or like, how does it work uh, for you? Uh, I I guess um, most of the work for me is done before um, you know the camera turns up. So, um, but in general, it was very similar to to what Mel's saying. That it was um, we were we were stretched over two you know two countries a lot of the time and two units and um, but and it, again it's having the right people with you and uh, and I'm you know was very lucky with the with the people I was working with and uh, and without that it wouldn't have worked um, <laughs> so it was uh, it was definitely challenging um, but but we were well resourced. That's great. I mean, I was going to say, like, obviously, it does seem very big budget. Are there are there particular challenges to bringing this scale of vision on the screen? Like, there, what's the toughest aspects? I mean, of... this one had very specific challenges that that nothing we've ever done has had. I mean, you don't see it in that episode, but the world at the end of that episode has no light left. There's right. no electricity. 
and creating a world without electricity and lighting it is, is unbelievably difficult. We, we had meetings, literally, didn't we, for hours trying to work out how to light rooms and spaces without any lights. Um, and it was incredibly hard to do. But Howard loved it as a writer because it meant the mobile phones didn't work, so actually he was never yeah, kind was of happy, snookered by the mobile phone. That's the writer's dream, isn't it? Just get rid of, get rid yeah. of it straight away. Um, and, and obviously, I mean, it, you know, CGI now can take people out of central London in very short space of time, but it's still incredibly difficult to create a world that there's no one in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it really is. And presumably when it's dark, you two want your work scene as well, so it's got to be lit very carefully, so, you know, otherwise... Missed out. Um, no, it was great. So um, we can't. We probably can't talk too much about like what's coming next. But boy, uh, since we're in Cardiff and we're in Wales, what? Uh, why, how was it filmed in Newport and Cardiff? How did that come about? And what was your experience making it in Wales? We've always filmed in this area, going back to Merlin, and uh, we, that was the first thing we filmed here. So we, yeah, we're here five years for Merlin, and then we did Atlantis for two years. So it's always been. We've kind of always sort of used a lot of people here and our, it's kind of our creative home in a way so we always kind of come back here and look for studio space oh, great i mean i i mean i like it here but there's mm. so obviously so it's there's talent here and it's the resources and the yeah yeah and that's you know that that's true of other parts of the country of course it is but it, this is the place we know and 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 have great relationships so i think we we'd you know nothing draws us to london so we go this way Oh, brilliant, we're very glad to have you. Um, does there, any questions from the audience? I think we've got a roaming... roaming well, I can just keep you my... I can chuck my... <laughs> yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks for bringing this to us. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm a big fan of the, well, all the different versions of War of the Worlds. Excuse my sore throat. Uh, um, I'm, I'm really interested in the devil in the details. Uh, I'm, I'm a, uh, I've got a foundation degree in astronomy myself, and I'm an active contributor to SETI, so I'm possibly not got the right people on the stage here, but I'm interested to know why Ross 128 as the source of the aliens. Julian will answer that question. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not sure anybody here can answer that question. <laughs> um, we talked a lot to the Institute, actually, about it, and had a couple of ast astronomy advisors um, in New York, and, and, and it was quite a process. Um, and... I think they put a lot into picking that. And we knew it was a little bit of a hostage to fortune because whatever we picked in three years' time, something else would have come up, something else would be discovered. But um, that was decided on mostly by them um, and giving us options, and I can't tell you much more than that. Thanks, you satisfied my inner geek. <laughs> See, that's the kind of quality audience we have in chapter. We have actual astronomers. Yeah, I really couldn't <laughs> Front row. Any other questions? No? Okay. I mean, well, that, I mean that was a bit, maybe it was a t there's another question, yeah. That was an intimidating start. So. Yeah, I hope we don't get any more of that. I'm an exobiologist, my question is. <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering. Yeah, so from the point of view of a physics uh, graduate, no. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I was just wondering, uh, why do you think there's such a sudden interest yet again in H.G. Wells and War of the Worlds? You've, there's so many different versions coming out. Your version, the BBC version, there's the interactive version done in London, there's uh, all the audiobooks that have been read by David Tennant and Martin Sheen and, and all that. So what's... Where's um, this whole, all there's this a cynical answer to that. 
uh, in 2017 it came out of copyright. So ah. that's one. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, that is definitely a big part of the answer. I think the other reason is I don't think the, the more serious side is we are at a point in astronomy where our sense of other worlds, other planets, other existence is far more acute than it's ever been because it's far more likely that in the next, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 years, somebody might find something that establishes that. So I think there is an awareness, and I think that does make ideas like this have a greater currency. But I'm sure the bigger reason is it came out of copyright. <laughs> How do you think you're going to uh, compare to all the other versions? Sorry, say that again? How do you think you're going to compare to all, the, all your competitors? That's a very bold with, question, with, audience with, member. Uh, we're definitely the best. <laughs> I enjoyed um, grilling the astronomers in the observatory at the top of the Alps. It was really cool to meet they them. And, escape, they? Yeah, no, it was it was really good finding out, you know, where they're at, and at, we really did grill them. You know, we asked them lots of questions, and obviously we asked them about, you know, aliens. And one of the things that they said to us was, it would be very arrogant of us all to think that there wasn't other life out there. And it was, it was really interesting. I found it really fascinating up there. It was quite new to me, that world. Yeah, no, it's not every day you get to meet astronomers in the Alps, so, you know, <laughs> once a year maybe. But uh, any more questions? No? I mean, you've done an incredible job already hyping up the future episodes and series or seasons of this. Um, I did, we can't ask any spoiler questions. I'm going to ask, does Twitter prove to be a force for good in this universe? It doesn't exist. It does, okay. Um, and is there anything, any, again, not spoiling any details, but we've hinted that our, our lead characters are going to go through some distressing times uh, in makeup and emotions. Are there any things that we should look out for, or hints you can give us for something, anything that's coming? You don't have to. It's very hard, because there is a big mystery at the heart of it all, okay. and, and I think it has, I hope, a surprising answer. Um, so I guess we shouldn't really say much. I mean, I think if Howard was here, he'd probably say that um, that he loved, you know, as, as a child, he read the H.G. Wells novels and he watched, um, you know, the Tom Cruise movie and he was a big fan of Lost and he always, he, he kind of felt quite passionately that the, the end, our end, had to be better than just a, a, a common cold. And so Howard had a very, very strong sense of what the, you know, when we eventually... Uh, finish the show. I keep saying it's five seasons, Howard says three, but we haven't kind of decided on that I'm one. I'm going for one. <laughs> but uh, he, he has a, a fantastic kind of end point of, of, of how, where the series ends, which is a fantastic twist. This is, that, that's expertly hyped, and uh, I think we're, I'll be, every single one of us is going to be watching it down now. Um, I think we're pretty much out of time, so uh, please just give a big round of applause to Julian, Johnny, Richard and Melanie. Thank you. Thank you all for coming, and thank you to BAFTA and uh, Chapter and Whale Screen and everyone else. Cheers.